Greetings and a welcome to each one of you. As we traditionally do, I, I will be preaching this morning a message especially for these parents and, and for, for all of you that are parents, and also hopefully a message that each one of you, parents or not, can, can learn something from, can apply to your lives. I, I don't think we need to apologize for especially or preaching for parents, because it is a, a great responsibility as a calling from God. And um, I appreciated some of the comments that were made in our Sunday school class this morning about this as well, and just, just a, the reminder that, that the responsibility that we have as parents with our children is, is to bring them into God's kingdom. And it's, I think, the primary way that God brings people into his kingdom, or certainly a, a significant way, is simply by blessing marriages with children and having children grow up in, in homes where, where they are given security and love and, and can be pointed towards Jesus Christ as their Heavenly Father. The title of my message is Parenting, a Call to Be Servants. And I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1. Looking at Mary's song or prayer here in Luke chapter 1, you may recall that John was in this passage last Sunday in his sermon, and he made the comment that, that Mary here displayed um, her understanding, she, she understood the real reason for Christmas, and we can see that in, in her prayer. I've chosen to, to look at this as uh, Mary's response to the call to parenthood. Indeed, she did respond properly to, to Christmas. She did recognize that this baby was her savior. And, but it's also Mary's response to the, the realization that she was going to be a parent. So I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary's response to the call to parenthood. I'd like for you to just think for a minute uh, about what Mary may have been feeling, thinking, and um, what was going through her mind at this time. This was right after, shortly after, when she found out that she was going to have a child. The angel brought that message to her, and she also became aware that her uh, 
Aunt Elizabeth was expecting, and she, she went to her house. So it could have been, it could have been, she could have been here possibly two to three, four months pregnant at this time. We don't know for sure when she wrote this. What do you think was going through her mind as she was anticipating uh, being a mother? Do you think she was afraid? She realized that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. If you read earlier in the passage here, she, she seemed to, to grasp that and accept that and understand that, though certainly she didn't know what his life was all going to consist of and what was all going to happen to him. She understood that this was not Joseph's child, this was from the Holy Spirit, and that he would be, he would take over the throne of his father David, he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. I picture her as having some of the same questions and struggles that you may have faced as an expectant parent. Will this child survive? How will we feed him? Uh, What kind of training methods will we use? Will Will I be able to give this child Give this child, excuse me, to give this child what he needs. Not only that, she was likely faced with some ridicule from others. Is this child born out of wedlock? And some of the suspicion that people had because of this situation. She may have even been an outcast to some because of this. She may have wondered, am I good enough? to be the mother to my Savior. Was she tempted to compare herself and her child with peers? Did she ask, what if Joseph leaves me? I think she faced some fears that perhaps some of us can identify with as well. And very likely even beyond that because of the situation that she was in. And though she was the mother of a child who turned out to be perfect. Yet her call was not that much different from what we as parents have. Excuse me. We too in our call to parenthood are called to be parents to a child who is made in God's image, a child who has a soul, an eternal soul. That soul will live eternally somewhere. And as parents, we face the realization that we will be the most influential people in that child's life. Indeed, it is a heavy responsibility that rightly in the time of joy and celebration of, of a new life, we may not think about all that much, But it is a great responsibility. We will have, as parents to a child, a tremendous effect on where that soul will spend eternity. So I'd like to look at this prayer here of Mary's. And we want to see 
Mary's posture before God? What was her attitude towards God, her understanding of God? How did she view God now that he had given her this message that she would bear his son? And we'll also see that Mary praised God because of some of his characteristics she brings out here. And then, after looking at that, I want to move on into looking at some of the, the some important things about training and raising children. There may be a bit more on a practical level, but tie in here with God's call for us as parents to be servants. And that's one of the things that stands out here to me in Mary's song is she saw herself as a maidservant of God. She was lowly and humble before God. And God promises grace to the humble. It was clear that she understood herself as a maidservant of God. She wasn't talking about her social status here, though I think it's probably true that she was poor, um, that she was, in another sense, perhaps a servant as well, not in the higher class of society, probably a very young girl at this time. But here she says, in verse 48, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She was talking about herself before God. She was God's servant. She was bowing down before him, worshiping him, and and seeing him as her Lord and master. She also said this earlier in the chapter, in verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord was her response when, when the angel brought this news to her that she would be expecting. The maidservant of the Lord. So it was not her social status, but her relationship with God. In verse 47, she says, God, my Savior. So we understood that, we see there that she understood that she was in need of someone to save her, a Savior. She needed a Savior. Even though she was called to be the mother of the Savior, she was a sinful human being in need of a Savior. She uses the word magnify which means to to enlarge, to make great. My soul magnifies the Lord. You cannot be proud or self-exalting and magnify the Lord at the same time. We realize that she was humble before God. She was not proud of the great calling that God had given to her called her to, but rather she was humble before him, willing to follow where he led her, willing to accept what he had called her to. She also was apparently very familiar with God's word. If you look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see Hannah's prayer. And there's a lot of similarities between that and the song of Mary here. So it seems evident that she knew the scriptures, was familiar with Hannah's prayer. Commentators also say, and I didn't study this myself, but there's at least 12 other allusions in this prayer to the Old Testament. There's some some wording that is used that obviously she brought out of the scriptures. So she knew God's word. She was familiar with God. 
And this was not a time in history when I don't think that was all that popular to be very familiar with God's word. We sometimes refer to the the years leading up to this as the dark um, or the years of silence because there was very few prophets and, and God's people, the Jews, were just kind of waiting to see what would happen and many of them being uh, wandering away from, from God and not really being that close. But she knew the scriptures. She was familiar with God's word. We also see the confidence that she had in God. In verse, going back to verse 34 here, when the angel was speaking to her, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered to her, of course, and explained to her how the Spirit would come upon her and this child would be born from God. Mary's response was, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She had confidence in God. Whatever you say, God, let it be. I will accept that. In verse 54 and 55, she also expresses confidence in God. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. She was remembering God's promises to his people and expressing a confidence that that this was happening. This was going to be reality, that God was keeping his promises. What he said was going to happen is going to happen. And all this she said before that child was even born, just after she received the news that he was going to be born. She was confident that God was doing something here. And what he said would happen was indeed going to become true. So that was Mary's posture before God. Humble, lowly, yet magnifying the Lord. Seeing herself as a servant of God. Accepting the call to be a parent to this child. With confidence that what God was doing would indeed come to pass. And as we look at at what Mary encountered over the next few years, you know, the life of her child was threatened. Her and her husband had to flee in order to protect him. And and later on, when Jesus was grown, you know, all the, the ridicule and persecution that he faced and eventually hanging on the cross, she saw that. She saw was there when her son was crucified. She didn't know what was all going to happen at this time, but she had a foundation that she could build on, that she could, on this foundation, be a godly parent. Mary exalts her God because he is mighty. We see that word here. It kind of stands out in this prayer, a mighty God. What now looks like, on this earth, what looks like strength. The proud, it mentions the throne and the rich. It says these will be scattered, will be brought down, and the rich will be emptied. She sees God as the mighty one. She's not putting her confidence in riches or in authority, as in the throne, but sees God as the mighty one and as the merciful one. She understood where her ancestors came from. The defeat, the captivity, the idol worship, the forgetting of God that was so prevalent. She realized that without God's mercy, she was helpless. 
They needed God's mercy. And she saw God as dependable. He has helped. And as he spoke, is two phrases that she uses. God was dependable. What he said would happen would indeed come true. So Mary sees herself as a servant of God. She sees parenting as a call to be a servant. I'd like for us to think a little bit about the whole responsibility of parenting. And I'm going to try and help you see the, the, the overall, the, the long-term um, picture of what this is. Some things that we don't think about when a new child is born and when you in, are enjoying the, the delight of a, a birth of a new child in your home. Parenting is really about separating ourselves from our children and moving them towards God. If you stop and think about this, right from birth, a process of separation begins. The relationship between an infant and its mother is sometimes referred to as symbiosis. This word means they're mutually dependent on each other. And in the case of an infant and a mother, both physically and emotionally, they're, they're very dependent on each other and almost operate as one. Symbiosis is where a child is, an infant, when it is born. In fact, a newborn probably doesn't realize that they're a separate person from their mother, at least not right away. But that process of separation begins right there at birth. The newborn thinks that he or she and mommy are the same. But there's a gradual realization that they are separate. And this causes a certain level of pain, a certain level of stress to that child. They cry because they're not warm and snuggled. They cry because they have this strange feeling of hunger. Before they were born, they were always warm and snuggled and never hungry. Now they're facing the realization that they're a separate human being from their mother. In this stage, it's important that a parent constantly reminds that child that their needs will be met, that they will be cared for, that they will be fed, that they will be loved. And when that child is warm and snuggled and fed, they're content. But gradually, as this baby grows, it understands more and more the fact that he or she is a separate child, a separate person from mother. So as a toddler and, and a child, it's a stage of separation, from symbiosis to separation. A toddler pursues independence. They come to a certain time in life when you realize that you know, they really are pursuing independence. They, they want to be their own person. They want to discover new things. They want to move away from mom and dad. In small ways at first, of course. 
And yet, even in that, as soon as there is a little bit of fear or a little bit of stress, where does that toddler turn to? Back to mommy. Fear and stress causes the child to, again, in a sense, revert back to that symbiosis of wanting to be close, wanting to be held. And as they realize more and more independence, as parents, we have a responsibility to teach them that, yes, they are independent, but they're also interdependent on other people. We teach them respect for others, kindness, sharing your toys, giving other people space, uh, helping them realize that the world doesn't actually revolve around them, that, that mommy needs some time with other people too. She can't always meet your every demand right away. They, of course, also in this time learn to know who daddy is. He's a separate person from mommy, and yet somebody who loves and cares for me. So they learn independence and interdependence. And in childhood and, and up through the teen years, as they are given more choices and less parental oversight, they need to learn, be given the instruction and wisdom to make wise choices. And into adulthood, we then realize that, yes, we're separate human being, but we're never completely autonomous. We need to then, even then, realize that we're interdependent on other people. And as a parent, your role is, in those first weeks and months and years, are so important as you lay that foundation for that child to, to learn that, that, yes, he is loved and cared for, he is a separate human being, and he does need to learn to relate to people around him because we will never be completely autonomous or completely separate or on our own. We're always dependent on others. And we live in a world where we're surrounded by other people that we need to learn how to function and relate to. And of course, ultimately or primarily, a relationship with a Heavenly Father is where they need to be pointed towards. Relationship with a Heavenly Father so in adulthood, though separate, we become in some ways more and more dependent on others as relationships are built and, and as potentially there's marriage where, where we have very close relationships, we learn dependence on others. And continuing this on now from adult to the deathbed, to when the time comes for a person to die. And I realize Circumstances are different, but many times an adult in, in their elderly years, as life becomes weaker and weaker, they become more and more helpless, they become more and more dependent, and nearing death, they become, there's this striking similarity to the closeness that was there at birth. Now not with mother and father, but with the heavenly father. A believer on their deathbed 
has this peace, I believe, that's possible, to have this peace and this dependence, they're completely helpless facing death, and yet so close to their Heavenly Father. A believer can realize in that time of life near the end that all their needs are met in their Heavenly Father. So picture your responsibility as a parent as teaching that child or taking that child down that path of separation but moving towards a Heavenly Father. As Jesus came near to this stage of death in John 16, 32, he said, Indeed the hour is coming, yet has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own. He's saying this to his disciples, to those that were close to him. You will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So we see Jesus at that stage. There was separation, and yet he realized that how, how near he was to his father. He realized his father had not forsaken him, and there was a closeness there between him and his father. Your call to be a servant as a parent is a call to direct your child to separation, in a sense. And also building closeness in relationship with others and primarily with their Heavenly Father. I'd like to give you four fundamentals for pointing them toward God. These are probably not all the fundamentals. These are just some I thought of. They're very well, it's probably some other very important ones. But I think these four cover a lot. And I want you to think about these four things as very important things that you are to be teaching and giving your children to equip them to go towards God, away from you and towards God. The first one is belonging. They need, your child needs a sense of belonging. Your baby needs to know that he has a family, he or she has a family, a mom and a dad, somewhere where they belong. Mary and Joseph, when they found their lost boy Jesus, said, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That's what Mary said. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. They were giving Jesus a sense of belonging. He had a family he belonged to. He had parents he belonged to. And when he wasn't with them, something was missing, something was wrong. And they were distressed when they couldn't find him and had to go back to the temple looking for him. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. They gave him a sense of belonging. This is what we need to do as parents with our children. This is very important in their early years that they know that they belong. There's a certain phase in childhood when, when you may hear them ask these questions uh, about, um, or sometimes it's not really in the form of a question, but it's like they're talking to themselves. And they say, you're my mommy, or, you're my daddy. 
mommy and daddy are married. This is my brother. This is my sister. That type of thing. And they're, they're simply figuring out who they belong to, who the people are close to them. And, and they realize that you know, these are friends, but they don't live here in our house. Um, and there's certain people who are a, a part of the family they belong to. And this is a very important foundation for them. But they realize they belong somewhere. God reassured his son Jesus of this when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and that voice from heaven came said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You belong. I'm your father. We have a close relationship. And in 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of, the love, of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. God gives us that sense of belonging as well. You should be called children of God. In Romans eight fourteen to 16 also speaks of this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's the reassurance that God gives us, that we belong. Children given that foundation can much easier grasp the concept that there is a God whom they belong to and who loves them. Second one is a dependable love. Our children need to know that they can depend on our love. And our love does not depend on whether or not they're doing what we want them to do, whether or not they're a pleasant child to live with that day. Um, should not depend upon whether they just broke a rule or not. They should be able to depend on that love and know that it will always be there. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. He also showed them, he loved them by serving them, and he showed them that example when he washed their feet. He did what they didn't want to do. He loved them by serving them. He took the role of a servant, the humble role, and showed them that he loved them by washing their feet. There's a children's book that, that we have read numerous times to our children, and, and I think it's, it's so profound, and, and you should get it for your children and read it to them. And I actually brought it along because I think I'm just simply going to read it to you. It's called No Matter What. And the message of this book is, is so simple and so profound, and I think it just illustrates very well that dependable love that we need to give to our children. Listen to these words. So this is, this is a fox, which is called large, and a fox called small. No matter what. Small was feeling grim and grumpy. Good grief, said large. What is the matter? I'm grim and grumpy, said little small, and I don't think you love me at all. Oh, small, said large, grumpy or not, I'll always love you, no matter what. <clears throat> if I were a grumpy grizzly bear, would you still love me? Would you still care? Of course, said large, bear or not, I'll always love you, no matter what. 
But if I turned into a squishy bug, would you still love me and give me a hug? Of course, said Large, bug or not, I'll always love you, no matter what. No matter what, said Small with a smile. What if I were a crocodile? I'd still hold you close and snug and tight and tuck you up in bed each night. But does love wear out? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, no, that's right. But does love wear out? Does it break or bend? Can you fix it or patch it? Does it mend? With time together, a smile and a kiss, love can be mended with things like this. But what about when you're far away? Does your love go too, or does it stay? Look up at the stars. They're far, far away. But their light reaches us at the end of the day. It's like that with love. We may be close, we may be far, but our love still surrounds us wherever we are. And on the back of this book it says, Will large love small forever, no matter what? The answer, of course, is yes, as every parent knows. But sometimes little ones like small need to be convinced. And I think perhaps sometimes large needs to be reminded to love, no matter what. I think you'll find it pretty hard to read that book to your child when you're angry at them. And that sometimes happens. I know some of you, three of the couples that were up here, excuse me, I'm dealing with a cold. Three of the couples that were up here are new parents. This is your first child. You may not think that the time will come when you're upset at your child. They probably will. It did for me. It does for me. Will you love them no matter what? And this is not a love that, that excuses bad behavior. This is not a, this dependable love does not mean you just disregard their behavior, you don't give them any, any discipline. But the third fundamental here is to teach them that there is consequences for the choices that they make. The Bible gives us this when it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They need to know that their choices have consequences, whether good or bad. And before we can begin to teach them that, we need to give them choices. And this comes, of course, in different ways at different ages and different phases of life. But remember that. They need to be given choices. Sometimes a little more choices than what we're quite comfortable as parents in giving them. But give them a choice and let them learn. Saying no over and over again is not a consequence. This is, I have two things here that, that are not consequences to help us understand what consequences are. Saying, over, saying no over and over and over again is not a consequence. It's an easy rot to get into. Getting angry at them for their poor choices or their wrong behavior is not a consequence. It simply communicates to them that you are frustrated. And most of the time, that doesn't bother them that you're frustrated. 
In Matthew 20, Matthew 23, Jesus' words there show that he also realized that there was consequences. And well, I'll read those verses. It's where he was lamenting the choices that his people had made. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was longing for his people to realize there was consequences for their choices. And yet he allowed them to make those choices. And he still loved them. And the fourth one is delayed gratification. Our children need to learn that what delayed gratification is. That they cannot have everything they want right now. And that oftentimes in this world that offers instant gratification, oftentimes the best things are not what you want right now, but rather the things that require work, persistence, patience, and dedication. Those are oftentimes the best things. We can teach this at a young age when our children learn to know that the world and others do not exist simply to make them happy. They can't get everything they want. They can't have it all right now. Sometimes they need to wait on others. This can be taught to children by teaching them to save money. Instead of taking that allowance money and going and buying a piece of candy, get them to think, what would you rather? Have candy that's going to be gone in a few minutes or save this money up and after months or maybe years of saving there's a greater reward delayed gratification so the idea of we work now and we rest later I know God has given us rest that we need on a daily and weekly basis but there's also this this concept in the scripture that's very clear that now is a time to work Now is a time for suffering. Now is a hard time in many ways. But there is a future rest. This is brought out in Revelations. And I'll read a couple verses from there. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having a great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. It talks here about about overcoming, about this, this battle, this fight that needs to take place. And the devil knowing that he has a short time, but but... Indicating here that for believers, for those who overcome, there is an eternity, there is a rest, an eternity for those who persist. So this requires delayed gratification. Again, a sense of belonging, having that dependable love, realizing that consequences, that there's consequences for choices, and learning delayed gratification four fundamentals that you should be teaching your children that will help them to walk 
as they walk away from you, in a sense, that they would walk towards God. Now, parents, fortunately, have a head start on learning these fundamentals, but many times we find ourselves still learning them. At least I do. We don't teach them to our children because we have arrived, but because we are God's servants and that is what he calls us to do. In a sense, we are adult sinners raising baby sinners. But if we know the Savior, we can teach them to follow him as well. And as we look back at Mary's prayer, we realize that she knew her God, her Savior. She had a closeness with him. And that is what equipped her, what made it possible for her to rejoice facing this task of raising this child. As you face the daily tasks of parenting, remember the words of Mary. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And my soul magnifies the Lord. His mercy is on those who fear him. Those words are important words that as a mother and a father, in the daily tasks of parenting when it's difficult, when it's not pleasant, remember those words and find strength in the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word and the direction it gives us in this task of parenting. We're thankful for the children that you have blessed us with and the responsibility you have given us to be parents. Though at times it's hard, we want to recognize it as a calling from you and a calling to be a servant, to serve them, to serve you and your kingdom by teaching and training our children. Let's pray a special blessing upon each one here as we go from here, that we could be a light for you, we could bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ken, do you have a closing song? Yeah, let's stand together and sing.